Thank you for tuning into another beautiful Sunday afternoon. I hope you guys' work week is going pretty good. You know, I hope you enjoyed the Rando Nautica horror story that we just dropped yesterday. If you haven't listened to it yet, go ahead and listen to it. Alright, I call you guys a bunch of beautiful peacocks, and that's what you are, okay? Alright, so, if you don't know where you are and you don't know who I am, you're at the Rainy Day Horror Show with the sexiest and the most dope podcast host in the world, me, Dusty McBalls, and I am the Certified Cougar Hunter, and I am the man with the biggest set of testicles to ever just fucking drop out of a womb. Yes, that's me. Alright? And on today's episode, yes, we do have a serial killer. It is Serial Killer Sunday. Okay? And on today's episode, we are doing Robert Hansen. Alright? Now, this is a man that took the short story, if you've ever heard of it, the short story called The World's Most Dangerous Game, where a bunch of rich people drop a bunch of, like, I don't know, non-rich people, and they hunt them down. This man took this to, like, a real-life scenario, and it is interesting, okay? And I have a movie idea that I will share with you guys at the end that's kind of related to the the world's most dangerous game. It's like the menu in the world's most dangerous game put together, and they had, like, a beautiful, sexy little baby. That's what it is, okay? But... Before we get into it, strap those Crocs on, alright? We're going to Alaska and Iowa, and we're going to have some fun. Just kidding, we're not going to have fun. We're going to witness a horrible murder spree that Robert Hansen decided to go on, alright? So, get those Crocs on, get some to drink, get a snack, and without further ado, let's get into the serial killer, Robert Hansen. Robert Hansen was born on February 15, 1939 in Esterville, Iowa. His father was a Danish immigrant who owned his own bakery and was also really strict and disciplined Robbie quite frequently. Now, like typical serial killers, Robert had a pretty rough childhood. You know, he had the abusive douchey dad and a mother that didn't really stick up for him or defend him or love her poor son. And now Robert's dad forced him ever since he was little to work extremely long hours at this bakery his family owned. And his parents also forced him to do everything right-handed since he was naturally left-handed. And this caused him to have a lifelong stutter. His father also encouraged, like, not really, not really encouraged, encouraged is the wrong word, but engraved, like, a lifelong message into Robert while he was growing up, and it was that men are strong and women are weak. The whole, you know, men make all the decisions and women just stay in the kitchen and take care of the children. That was the message that was engraved into poor Robert. And this message would periodically, well not periodically, it would show up later in his life and he would carry this on with him when he would go on his killing spree. 
Now, once Robert reached his teens, he became extremely socially awkward and he was very shy and also had really, really bad acne. And all three of these traits got him bullied relentlessly at his school. Now, Frank Rothschild, a man that prosecuted Robbie while, you know, while he was going through his trial, stated that, And I quote, The people who particularly made fun of him that really, really got to him were young girls. And this attitude that he developed about the female sex came from those times. And this rage that was developed in adulthood also came from those poor childhood experiences. Now this hatred didn't stop after high school. He carried it all the way through his stint in the military and through both of his marriages and then into his killings. But before we get into all of that, let's let's talk about his little other, you know, his little high school, his little high school ditty that he fell in love with, all right? When he was in high school, he fell in love with hunting and the art of stalking animals. This is foreshadowing. I'm going to spoil it right here. This is a little foreshadow into the future. Now, once 1957 hit and he will and he turned 18, he joined the United States Army, leaving his trouble past behind him. Holy Jesus. What is that? What the fuck is that? Hoping to make something of himself. And for a while, he did. He was on that straight and narrow path. He was doing really, really well for himself. But after being in for only a year, he became an assistant drill instructor in Pocahontas, Iowa. And this would be the very first time that he would solicit a sex worker. And when he did this, he realized that he loved exerting power and control over women he was with. And then after that incident, after all of that confidence, he would get into one of his first of two marriages. And now, while he was married, in 1960, at the age of 21, he convinced a young bakery employee to help him burn down a school bus garage. He's making a fucking sweater back here. I'm trying to put Tiger Bomb on this jungle's nuts. Now this school, this bus garage was, was attached to his former school and he burned this bus garage down as a retaliation for the bullying he suffered. Now the young bakery employee would, you know, do the right thing and he would later snitch on Robbie and it landed Robbie three years in prison and when he got sentenced to those three years his wife divorced him and while he was serving these three years he only actually served 20 months and once he was out he went back to work at his parents bakery where he would get pretty familiar with shoplifting not just from not their store but like stores from around town and he would eventually remarry another local woman before moving to Alaska. 
And once he, the reason he moved to Alaska was because he felt like he wasn't well-liked in the community and he just didn't feel like he belonged, you know? Minus he was probably just shoplifting fucking everything and nobody wanted to be with him because they knew he was a criminal. So it's understandable why he wasn't liked in the community. Now, Robbie moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967 where he would open up his own bakery as well. And he eventually became very well-liked in the community and he raised two children with his wife. But his crimes when he moved to Alaska didn't stop. Now, his nickname, before I continue the story, his nickname is actually called the Butcher Baker. So, it's a little creepy. A little creepy, you know. He goes, moves, you know, across the world. Not really across the world, but very, very far away. And he opens up a bakery from the parent, like, continuing his parents' parents's parents work and he was still attached to all of that you know like not like physically but mentally because it's what his parents did and his parents were just complete dicks to him so it's just kind of weird and yeah he earned the nickname the butcher baker then in 1972 he got arrested once for raping Susie Heppard and another time for abducting and raping Barbara Fields now listen to this. He did get caught for his crimes, but didn't do any time for his crimes. He instead received court-ordered therapy for his actions. What? And this is just baffling to me. Like, why wouldn't... I understand that you're well-liked in the community, but holy shit. How fucking dumb. Like, he had with... Like, I don't know if he knew somebody in, like, the like the court system or what to like get that you know that sentence like extremely light because abducting somebody and raping some two counts of rape and then one for abduction that is a lot of bad bad shit so and that can land you a substantial amount of time in prison so i'm very surprised that he was able to only get court-ordered therapy even though he already had a huge fucking record for other petty crimes. Like, this this shit is insane. Like, that is insane to me that he was able to get off with only court-ordered therapy. Now, unknown to authorities, his killing spree, they could have locked him up for a decent amount of time to prevent all of his killings, but his killing spree started in 1973 now confident he could walk away free from you know because he was walking away free from his previous crimes he grew more confident thinking he could walk away from all of the murders that he's about to commit so he hit the streets of anchorage looking for strippers and prostitutes because in his mind they were labeled as bad girls and not only that we all know that most serial killers go after sex workers because they won't be missed and most of the time they're distant with family. So that's another reason why he went after strippers and prostitutes. Now once he picked his victim, one of two things would happen. If they gave into his dominating twisted fantasy, he would only rape them and then let them go. 
and he would scare them into not telling the police. But if they put up a fight and they rejected him, he would tie them up, drag them onto his plane because he was able to get his pilot's license and he had a little plane at his house and he would tie them up and he would bring them onto his plane. He would take them to his cabin that was in the remote wilderness of Alaska where he would release them and then track them down and hunt them as if they were, you know, a deer or a moose. And it nine times out of ten resulted in their deaths. And like I said earlier, he loved the idea of tracking animals. And at his home in Alaska, he had animals mounted all over his house and even a few bow hunting records. So this this man was, you know, he was pretty wicked when it came to hunting. Like he knew what he was doing, but it wasn't only animal trophies that he had at his house. He also had other trophies from the victims that he killed. Now, when he flew them to his cabin, his cabin was located along the Nick River and he would set said woman free just to give them like a little glimmer of hope thinking that they would be able to escape and as they would run for their lives he would wait a little bit and would give them like a little bit of a head start and then he would start tracking them down and he would take his time he would drag it out and sometimes he would drag it out for you know a few hours Sometimes it was even a few days and he would just track these women down like they were moose, women, or not, not women. Well, they were women, but moose, deer, buffalo, bears, like if there were any, that's how we treated it. And he was armed with a hunting knife and a 223 caliber Ruger Mini 14 rifle. If you don't, let me, this is going to be bad. I hate making this analogy, but a 223 for people that don't know gun calibers, a 223 is what most of your AR-15s shoot. The, the 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 guns that are in the fucking news constantly that everybody's like we should ban them, it's it's those weapons that he would hunt with. Now, don't get me wrong. This is a little this is a little offset tangent. I believe that, you know, we should take our gun control seriously, you know. Some people shouldn't be allowed to get guns, right? I get that. But if we ban all guns, you know what that's going to do to the black market? It's going to drive the it's going to drive the weapons on the black market up through the roof. Remember how in the 80s like, you know, crack was being, crack and cocaine were just being pushed into the U.S. from South America and Central America, like, and the government was controlling that flow of how much cocaine could come in. This is one thing that I think the government could possibly, you know, wants to control. They want to control the flow of elite, of assault rifles or any kind of rifle into the U.S., and if they ban them all, they'll be able to do that with the black market and arms dealers, illegal arms dealers. Now, will they ever ban 
weapons? No, they can't. They won't. Like the normal, like normal U.S. citizen, they won't let them ban weapons. Okay. And I know most people are like, well, they should take away the assault rifles. They could, but like I said, it just gives them another avenue to control and flow things into. I do believe that, you know, keep the hunting rifles. Well, even if a hunting rifle, if you go into like, if you, if you have a hunting rifle, like a .30-06, a .308, one of those rounds that are, some of those guns are semi-automatic, you could do so much, those, those rounds are way more dangerous than a 223-556, like, those can do some damage, and, like, let's take, let's talk about shotguns for a second, you can saw off the front of a shotgun, put it in your pant, like, you can walk up into a school, that would do just as much damage as an assault rifle, and, to break down a lot of these rounds, I'll break down the majority of them, okay? So when it comes to pistols, usually it's a 9 mil. Those can do, you know, decent amount of damage. Like, that's what, you, that's what the police use. That, you know, that's what they use when they're, you know, when there's an active shooter or something like that. They use a 9 millimeter pistol or they use a 223 like a 223 in the AR15 that's what the military uses that's what some hunters use that's what you know the police use that's what the SWAT team uses now if you go above that like let's take you know 911 the whole when we were over there in Afghanistan fighting to find Osama bin Laden they were using AKs now those that's that round is a 762 that is two steps up from the 223 that our military uses and what the police use and those can do a lot of damage too right but we also have to be careful about people because you can construct your own you can make your own you can if you want to you know hairpin a trigger you can do that and make it fire faster it's going to be illegal like don't get me wrong it is illegal to do that or if you don't have the proper, um, what's the word, permits, and you make a gun fully auto, like, those are stuff that we should be careful about and limit more, alright, and do background checks better on, but I'm just, this is a huge tangent that I'm going off of, I'm just saying, if it bothers me that the government wants to ban all weapons, because if we ban all weapons, it gives them an avenue to control on the black market like how they did with the flow of cocaine in the 80s. And, like, and let's say they do ban all weapons, but they don't, you know, they cut out the black market. The black market is not an issue. I don't know if, like, I don't know if a whole lot of you know this, but in the UK, and some of my UK friends have confirmed this, especially in London, they don't have weapons. They don't have guns, they don't have all of that, and it is, but the crime there is still really high. The only thing is, is they're stabbing people. So, there will be more knife violence here. But now in Norway, it's completely different, same with Australia. Norway has, you know, very limited crime, but their government takes very, very good care of them. Yes, they pay higher taxes, but 
all schooling is free and if you lose your job you get you know you get that same salary for four years unless you find a different job so there would be some significant changes now do i think that they're going to ban all weapons no they can't bro people in texas will not let that happen anybody in the south will not let that happen so I don't think they're going to ban all weapons. I'm just saying if they were to, it would give them a whole nother avenue to control. Just like they did with cocaine. All right. Now, sorry. That was a whole weird tangent. I'll go. I'll, I'll get back to the story. So, like I said, he hunted with a hunting rifle and he used a 223, you know, mini 14 rifle. And he would torture these women while he hunts them down. So, now, like I said earlier, sometimes these hunts, quote-unquote hunts, would only last a few hours or they would last days, like multiple days, before he'd even think about shooting them or killing them. And then, after doing it for more than a decade, after Robbie moved to Anchorage, he abducted and brought a 17-year-old girl named Cindy Paulson to his, his like, cabin to hunt her down. Well, she was one of the, she was the fortunate one to actually escape. And she was running down 6th Avenue barefoot and handcuffed. And after running for a while, she was eventually picked up by a driver and was returned to safety. Now, Paulson was a local prostitute, and she told the police that she was being held hostage by a man who handcuffed her to his car, held her at gunpoint, and took her to his house where he chained her by the neck. Then, the man raped her and tortured her repeatedly before attempting to load her onto his plane and take her to a cabin that was located in the... The Mat oh, I'm gonna fuck this up. The Matnuska and S the Matnuska Sutton, the Matnuska Susitna Valley. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sorry, to you know my Alaskan friends, I might have fucking butchered that. But this valley was roughly 35 miles north of Anchorage. Now, that man we obviously know was Robbie or the Butcher Baker. And as he was preparing for takeoff, Paulson was able to escape. And this girl is like incredibly smart. I never would have thought about this. And when she was running, she intentionally left her shoes behind as evidence to prove that she was there. Now, like I said, obviously Robert fit the description and Paulson also was able to identify his stutter and his airplane. But the police were hesitant to bring him in since he was well-liked in the community. Listen, I don't give a fuck if you're well-liked in the community or not. When shit is adding up and shit's stacking up... I'm, bro, I'm, I don't give a fuck who you are. You could be... You could be Taylor Swift. And I'm, gonna, I'm still gonna fucking barge in there. I mean... Is Taylor Swift a part of the Illuminati? We don't know. We don't know what goes on in the celebrity world if the Illuminati's real. We don't know that. 
All right, I'm just I'm just throwing out little things for you. I'm not saying the Illuminati is real. I'm not denying that it's fake. I'm just saying, what if? All right, now maybe he had because he was able to get off those charges for raping those two women and abducting one of them. So maybe he had some sort of power within the community that he was able to manipulate, right? Maybe that's what it was. But still, I don't give a shit, bro. I'm coming after you. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck if you destroy my life. I'm coming to prove, like, no, I don't care. I'm coming after you, all right? That's that. That's the end of the story. When they realized that he fit the description, they even dismissed all of his prior convictions, which is another thing that baffles me. Like, why would you even know? If somebody has prior convictions, I don't know. Just fucking get them. It's not that hard. But eventually, thankfully, they did bring him in for questioning. When they brought him in, he did admit that he had met Cindy, but claimed that she was setting him up because he refused to pay her high prices. When the police were told you know, about his alibi, it was also backed up by a friend, and he was released. A bullshit? A bullshit? A bullshit. Now, while he was going through this issue with Cindy, bodies were starting to pop up, and several sex workers and strippers were missing from the area. And this was all, like, the convincing evidence the Alaskan State Troopers, shout out to that show. That show's so fucking good. Oh, I used to watch it all the time. I miss that show. But anyways, the Alaskan State Troopers started to suspect that a serial killer was on the loose, and they eventually contacted the FBI. Now, the first two bodies were found in that Matanuska and Susitna. I'm butchering that valley. They were... Those were the first few bodies were found was in that valley. And they also found two, two, three shell casings nearby. And since, you know, his cabin was in that area, you know, they, he was the prime suspect, but they needed evidence. And this led to the involvement of the FBI and FBI agent John Douglas and he put together like a psychological profile of the killer and it was based off the details of the case and from the injuries of the victim well the injuries that these victims had suffered from like on their bodies like from like the whole pathology and stuff like that he was starting to put you know this whole psychological profile together and Douglas concluded that the killer was an experienced hunter who suffered from a low self-esteem and had a history of being rejected by women. Now, hold on. This man, this man's kind of an incel. Like, I'm going to put it out there. He's kind of an incel. Like, he hates women, you know. I don't know if he thinks he's gorgeous, but, I mean, he hates women and doesn't need them, so he kills them. Right? He can overpower them thinking he's, you know, top dog with all this confidence that he's got going on. And he kills him. Sounds like a grade A incel. Like every most, I don't know if most serial killers are like this. But I feel like a lot of school shooters are like this. A lot of them are incels. You know? This guy fits the description of an incel. 
Now, with where these bodies were discovered, and now with Robber being the main suspect, they obtained a search warrant and searched his, you know, his normal house with his family and then his cabin. They also searched his plane and his car. And what they found would literally shake them to their core. When they were searching the Butcher Baker's home, they found an aviation map of his cabin's area hidden behind the headboard of his bed. And it was marked with 24 tiny X's. And some of these X's matched up with some of the bodies that police had already found. So this man was keeping tallies of where he was killing these women and the general area of where they were killed at. And they also found a stash of jewelry in Robbie's basement. And some of that jewelry belonged to some of the victims he killed. He also had a secret soundproof room hidden behind a movable panel that was in the wall. It was like a little wall panel. And you could slide it in and out. And there was a soundproof room hidden behind that. And faced with all of this evidence, he was arrested. And he confessed to murdering 17 women and raping another 30 women in 1984. And Robert was sentenced to 461 years in prison without parole in 1984. But this bitch, like all the other serial killers, or, you know, people that do mass shootings, they either, you know, kill themselves or they cop a plea deal, plea deal, and this guy copped one, and he was only charged with four out of the 17 murders he confessed to. But some people believe he did kill more than 20 women. They just couldn't find where they were at on, you know, on that map. Like, it was just, it, those X's were, like, general areas. And if you're wondering why only four out of the 17 women, you know, he only got convicted for four, it has to deal with, one, the plea deal, and two... Sometimes they just don't have, you know, enough stuff to either, like, identify the body or, like, tie him to it, I think is what it is. I could be wrong. I remember them explaining, I remember watching something and it was explaining why sometimes they don't get charged with, you know, other bodies. But I'm pretty sure this one had to deal more with the plea deal and a lot of the women they couldn't find so now he would you know after he was convicted and tried and everything he would eventually just waste away the rest of his life in the spring creek correctional center in seward alaska where he would eventually die in 2014 after he was convicted and sentenced his second wife would divorce him and later come out and say, this shit baffles me. I don't know why. His wife is so stupid. And she would later come out and say to Leland Hale, who is co-author of Butcher Baker, the true account of an Alaskan serial killer, that she stayed with him, even though she knew something was terribly, 
terribly wrong. She also always knew that her husband was doing something wrong, but murder never crossed her mind. Her suspicions ended when she caught wind that Robbie was hiring prostitutes and strippers, and his wife was like a devouted religious like Christian, and she believed that she could help him try and find faith and try and find God again. And even his employees that, you know, when he owned that baker shop in Alaska, his employees would also come out and say that he was capable of great rage and that he was mild-mannered and they knew something sinister was being held behind his, you know, his facade, his fake mask. I'm just baffled that she was with him even though he was doing some awful shit. Listen, if my girlfriend ever caught wind that I was like doing something bad, bro, she would chop my dick off. There would be like, I wouldn't even be able to walk around normally. Like, she would leave me in a heartbeat. Like, she would call me out on that shit like any normal person would do, right? Any normal person would call you out. But I don't know why she didn't call him out. Maybe there, maybe he was abusive to her. In my research, it never said anything about that. But if you, you know, if he had a temper, could have been abusive and she was just afraid to bring it up. Or maybe she was just, you know, if I don't acknowledge it, if I don't see it, if I don't hear it, if I don't acknowledge it, then it's not true. It's not happening. You know, he's just doing his own thing. That shit baffles me. But yeah, that's the story on, you know, Robert Hansen, the butcher baker, the dude that got sentenced for 461 years in a life sentence for, you know, basically bringing the world's most dangerous game into reality and like literally hunting down these poor women. These poor, poor women that were just trying to make money to just scrape by and make, just try and survive. And he took everything from them and murdered them. It's awful. It's stupid. It's dumb. And, well, at least he's rotting in hell now. But, yeah, that's the that's it on him. Um, here's my movie idea. So you guys know the menu, right? Where it's the cult. He brings this these rich people out. He cooks them meals and stuff like that. And then he, you know, basically kills them all at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry. He kills them all at the end. Are we all really dying? It doesn't work if you live. No, what doesn't work? The menu. Why not? It needs an ending that ties everything together conceptually. Otherwise, it just tastes good and who cares? I mean, really, you should have your own place, right? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I could help you with that. I'm sure you could, Miss Bloom. I could, I could. We, we would just have to talk about the, the you know, the, <laughs> the, the dying thing. Oh, everyone. Dying was my pitch, actually. Super proud of it. Anybody want any wine? Yes, yes. Thank you. So, I have a great idea. What if it's a movie? What if we took the menu and the world's most dangerous game and we morphed them into a cannibal story? Like, let's say, the chef... You know, the whole concept of, you know, the menu where you have a chef, these rich people come out, they eat your food, they try to run 
from you because they're a little bit scared. But what if instead of running from them, he fed them and then he released them into the wild, making them think that they had a chance to escape and him and his crew would hunt them down, kill them, bring them back to the kitchen, chop them up and like, you know, do some cannibalistic shit and then he would feed them to the next people that were coming to that island to eat like the next night or the week after like if it you know what I mean and then he would just do that on like a rinse repeat cycle that's a good movie that would be a good movie I would watch that shit I wouldn't make it you know terribly graphic by the way if you take this fucking idea you can take it all right I would give you permission to take it but I'm gonna make a better version And everything that you do wrong, I'm going to do better. And I'm going to listen to the critics. So just think about that. Right? Don't steal my idea because I'm just going to make a better version of it. Actually, I encourage you to steal my idea. Because then that makes me, that lets me know what not to do. Right? But that's my idea. That would be, I feel like that would be very, very interesting. Probably get blacklisted for it. Actually, probably not. But who knows? Who knows? But yeah, that, that's that's my movie idea. I think it's a good movie idea. But yeah, no, that's really it. Um, I hope you guys' weekend went good. Um, I've got a I got another episode of me featuring on somebody else's podcast that's called the Czar Podcast. That was fun. You know, I told the infamous trail story that all of you love. Told that on there. So. You guys should, when it comes out, I'll let you know. I'll put it up and we will, you know, we'll watch it. Well, I won't. Well, I will watch it. I'll actually, I won't watch it. I'll listen to it. But, you know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, what else is going on? Nothing much. Just working. Working, working, working. Um, remember Tuesdays, we got our same, you know, Reddit horror stories. Thursday, I think I'm going to do a really, really short episode on a movie that is free on Netflix, not on Netflix, on YouTube. It's called Finley. It is so funny. I highly recommend it. It's free. It's only like 25 minutes long. It is really good. It's funny. It's about a puppet. It's just, it's, I will, I will probably do a video on that. Or if I don't, cause it's so short, I might do another movie and then I'll break that one down too. Because it is so funny and I really enjoyed it. And I really want you guys to watch it because it is free. You don't even have to pay a dime. Alright. And they're not even paying me to promote this shit. This is just me talking highly of a movie that I loved. So. You guys should go watch that. Um, then. Thir- yeah. Thursday. Saturday. Randonautica. And then I think on Sunday. We are doing Doug McKay. And he is like. He was a death at an amusement park, and I know it's the summer, so amusement parks are open and stuff like that. So just to freak you out when you go on that next roller coaster, right? Um, and then eventually, probably in a couple few weeks, I'm going to be adding a fifth episode to the week, and it's going to be me and my girlfriend. We're going to be talking. We're going to be breaking down, you know, either paranormal stuff or true crime stuff. I really want to do something with her on Waco and that whole cult. That was really interesting. Just saw that on Netflix. So I'm going to do something on that. And then, yeah, that's basically it. That's what's going on so far. Oh, 
Crypticon in Minneapolis in September. I will be there. Pop out. Say hi to me. You know. I just, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll, if you would need it, want an autograph, I'll, shit, I'll give you an autograph. I don't really care. But just letting you know, I will be there. And yeah, that's about it. I hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. Now let's get through this week. Let's make that money. Let's go out next week. Let's party. Let's shop. Let's do whatever the fuck we want. All right? Remember, stay frosty. Stay foxy. And most importantly, the most important thing, or I will put you in my episode, you beautiful fucking peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces.